Well, good morning as we gather on this Friday in the 32nd week. This, this week together, we've been reading through uh, initially a letter from Paul to Titus, his long, young protege, and today we hear from the second letter of John. Some historical context perhaps is useful. John is writing this to us. Most scholars agree he's probably living in Ephesus at this time. Around the year 67, it's, it's estimated that he and some of the immediate followers of Christ, the disciples, some, we know John and Mary in particular had moved to Ephesus from Jerusalem because it's in 70 that the temple falls and the Roman government suppresses the temple worship, destroy the temple, in fact, tear it down. But by that time, many of the immediate followers of Christ had moved to Ephesus. It's from there that John writes this, this beautiful letter. He writes a series of three letters, in fact, first, second, and third John. And his his message today is actually to the church. He, he introduces it so beautifully so, doesn't he? He, he says to us, to my, my, my dear lady, I ask you not as though I were writing a new commandment. My dear lady is the church itself, the body of Christ. It's, it's a, in the Greek in which he wrote, this is a feminine a salutation to the church itself. It's not to a particular person, but it's to the young church there that had formed in Ephesus. He says, many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. That's actually one of the early controversies in the church, that Jesus was not fully human and fully divine. He was not fully human and fully divine. In fact, this controversy that John may be addressing was this idea that Jesus was a deity who had the manifestation of humanity. He wasn't actually human. That's not true because that would call into question the defeat of death in the tomb itself, that Jesus dying destroyed death. He defeated death, which was the, the most miraculous beauty of his resurrection that ushers in the economy of salvation. That's how we come to be saved, because we are fully human and not divine in the least. He was fully human and fully divine, and in his divinity defeated the death of humanity. That's the story. And John was addressing that in that young community on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. But the theme we had from Tit uh, in the letter to Titus earlier this week, we studied, was a directive on how those in leadership within the church, young church, should carry themselves and the deportment and dignity with which may, they must live their faith as those who would help shepherd the church. And today, John is speaking more broadly to the church itself, to anyone reading who would have heard this letter read, they most likely would not have read it themselves. Most of them would have been illiterate, but they would have had it read to them. He uses this phraseology, anyone who is so progressive as to not remain in the teaching of the Christ does not have God. Whoever remains in the teaching has the Father and the Son. We have to examine that word progressive. In Greek in which this is written, what he's referring to is this same, perhaps, uh, application we could look at today. To be progressive is not necessarily a negative thing. What is potentially harmful is when we come up with, in air quotes, new and innovative ways of being things or doing things that are contrary to the history of the human story. Or, in this particular case, contrary to the teachings of the church. Progressive means to progress an idea. And we come up with new and innovative ways. We have many examples in our contemporary society where something could be labeled progressive, and that could be a good thing, the progress of medicine, the progress of engineering designs, the progress of, of international relations where unity is sought. Those are good things. 
progressive can be negative where it introduces ways of being and definitions of things that just don't make any sense in science or history. They don't make any sense in science or history. So what John's dealing with here is those who are taking this idea of Jesus Christ and they are contemporary to the experience because again, he's writing this probably in the year, somewhere between the year 80 and 90 AD. And that's in the immediacy of Christ's presence on earth in, human, in his human existence because John was a, a young follower of Christ at that time. And he's talking to those people, writing to those people who are progressing the idea that Jesus was not fully human. That's what he's speaking to. And he's challenging that and saying, don't, don't go down that street. Don't go down that road. That is a dangerous and faulty path. Our gospel writer, Luke, we've been studying from the 17th chapter of Luke this week. He tells us something very similar. He just says, stay focused on the commandments. And today he tells us that. He says, it reminds them again of the story they've been handed down through their ancestry, the story of Noah and the great flood and how those eight individuals, Noah and his wife and children came to be saved. And, but at the time of the great flood, people were drinking and being married and giving in marriage. Up to that very day, Noah entered the ark and they dismissed Noah as a fool. Why would you build this massive vessel on this hilltop when there's no hint of this destruction coming? And, and Noah, inspired by direct messaging and instruction from God, ignored contemporary society and moved forward in faith in the truth of what he knew, and hence became that through which the human story continued, he through who the human story continued. And then our Savior speaking similarly references the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot, and how Lot was given a specific instruction by an angel. You must flee this place. There is destruction coming. This city will be destroyed because of its wanton disregard for the commandments. And they flee, but his wife was still anchored to the world. She was still connected to the world. So she looks back on the city in destruction behind her, having been specifically instructed not to do do that. And what is she? We're told through the stories of our faith, she was turned immediately into a pillar of salt that if being in direct disobedience to the instruction she'd been given, hard things happened to her. Her life ended, she was reduced to salt. And then we have this specific instruction from our Lord who says, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will save it. And that is so, that if we are so connected to the things of this earth and this world and this immediate life, we may find ourselves distracted from the focus of our life, which is our eternal proximity and presence with God. That's why we were born, that's why we exist, and that is our, that should be the focus of our journey. And through God's grace and merit, not through our works, but through God's grace and merit, that potential has been introduced into our life. And this is the teaching that young Francesca, is her name, born in 1850, our saint of the day, Francesca, uh, taking the name Francis Xavier Cabrini. She was born in 1850 in northern Italy. Grew up, uh, a, we'll call in air quotes, a normal, normal life for a young girl at that time. She was very uh, lithe, very light in frame, very, very small. In fact, she had decided early on she wanted to be a missionary. And young Francesca visited several different religious communities, all of whom rejected her because they were afraid she was too frail to do the work of a mission, to do the work of a missionary. So she was rejected. 
and her local bishop. I don't know if there's any relation between her name and him in some long ancestry. His name was Bishop Scalabrini, and her family name is Cabrini. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's just common. In, uh, it's like I suspect our brothers and sisters in Poland, a lot of them have the conclusion of ski on their name. Maybe, it, maybe Eni is a common name in that part of Lom- near Lombardy. I don't know. But Bishop Scalabrini tells young Francesca, listen, you should start your own order. Start your own community because you have the, the spirit, the inspiration to do this and uh, you have the zeal to do this and God's inspiration to do this. Go do this. Go do this, young one. So that she does. And so she begins her own community and there's a series of protocols that community, religious communities have to go through. They exist to this day. There's, if uh, someone's so inspired to begin their own new community, there's a series of steps they have to go through and they require local and ultimately papal endorsement, which she received. And in 1889, Bishop Scabrini then uh, inspired her to go to North America, particularly the East Coast, because there were many millions of Italian immigrants coming, just as there were from Germany and in the decades before that from Ireland. So we all know that from our own nation's beautiful history that in the 19th century, we had tens of millions tens of millions of immigrants coming to this country, primarily from Western Europe, building the nation that we have today. And young Francesca, now named Francis Xavier, came to the United States to do just that. And she began her work uh, in New York, in New Jersey, in that, in that metropolitan area. And she began to establish schools And now think about this. This is a young woman who at this point is 33, 34 years of age. And she is uh, without funds. She has no bank account. She's not from a wealthy family. There's no one in the United States that's sponsoring her per se. Yet she's motivated to start these schools. And with her own ingenious work, with her own creativity, with her own living in accordance with the commandments and the faith and being so authentic in living her faith, young Francis Xavier begins to establish these schools. She then begins to establish uh, an expansion of her community by encouraging and inspiring other young women to join her. And so she establishes what is known as the Missionary Sisters of the Sacred Heart. Missionary Sisters of the Sacred Heart. And their specific mission was to work with the young ones, the little ones, to inspire the young ones in their faith so that as those young ones mature into their teen years and adulthood, it's very natural for us to question things and walk away and spend time away from the church. But she thought if we can connect the young ones' hearts to the church early on, if we can make that, that uh, eternal link, that in life the young one will return. They'll return to their faith even if they walk away for some time. And she saw great success in that. She would make 25 trips between the United States and Italy back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to recruit more people to help because there was a language need. You needed to be able to be functional in that language. And so she, in in Italian, because there were many people she was ministering to. And so it was. And in the course of her life, she would die in 1917 in Chicago, but between 1889 and 1917, she established, or rather between 1909 and 1917. Think about that. Between 1909 and 1917, she established 67 schools 
and orphanages and hospital clinics and houses for her sisters. This young woman who had no means, motivated by the Holy Spirit with a heart that was so inflamed with love for the people and love for our Lord, she was able to do tremendous work and grew that community so much so that we today here at St. Thomas, we host a co-op that was uh, inspired by Sister Cabrini. And we have little ones now who wear these little blue and gold caps. You'll see them every now and then, the Cabrini beanies, we call them. The Scabrini Cabrini beanies, I guess we should call them. There they are. Thank you for holding that up, Gabe. That's a Cabrini beanie that our nifty knitters so generously uh, prepared for the young ones. But the purpose of that co-op is to uh, connect the same way in the spirit of Sister Cabrini, that is to connect the young ones to the love of our Lord early on, to let, them, let that Lord's beauty and love and teaching enter their heart in an appropriate level for children so that as they mature in their life, that love will always be there, that first love will always be there. So a good reminder for all of us because we remain forevermore children of God born into the faith through our, our Lord's intentionality. And we can return each day knowing that as children of God, we are loved in all ways, and all we need do, just as we do with our parents, is ask for, their, ask for a return, ask for forgiveness, and walk forevermore inspired by the faith. St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, pray for us. <laughs>